Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is artist Kate Talbot. We talk about her growing up in Ireland. We talk about her doing a bit more growing up in Scotland. We talk about her moving to Calgary in Canada with her family as a young woman, as a teenager, trying to find her way, trying to find some friends, trying to find a scene, trying to find something to belong to, something to get stuck in with. She left punk rock behind in England. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about finding pen pals via the NME. We talk about aspirations to go to art college and how she didn't think it was possible in Canada. We talk about how she leaves Canada on a bit of a whim. That's quite an interesting story in itself. We talk about loads of things. It's a freewheeling conversation we talk about when she starts studying graphic design and why she gave it up and went to fine art we talk about how she finally got round to uh, her signature style if you will of of art via textiles and and her political divisive messaging in uh, wrapped up in, in what we usually consider to be quite kind of twee or cute or nostalgic uh textile materials we talk about her new shop uh hung drawn quoted and we also talk about a new art installation that she's opening here in Froome called Santa's Grotty uh, it's a great conversation I've known Kate for a long time uh, if you enjoyed this podcast with her we've got one of her sister Eleanor so check that one out as well because that's also really good uh, so yeah here it is Kate Talbot Kate Talbot, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, we've had two Talbots on the Giant Pod now. The first Talbot is your sister. Talbots, actually. Talbot. Sorry, Talbot. <laughs> Talbot. Oh, dear. No. Um, we've had Eleanor on. Yep. And uh, that's so I feel like I kind of know part of your life story just through knowing that you guys would have, you know, you would have, well, she was in tow to you because you're she's your younger sister that's right yeah um yeah. but um just t- tell me a little bit about about yourself you're an artist you do mostly you do textiles work of a sort of a punk rock leaning i guess or it's a, it's a uh yeah i'm um punk in spirit punk in spirit yeah yeah, yeah. bullshit i'd call it more than anything oh yeah uh yeah i'm an artist um i just i have uh an interest in social political things more than anything and kind of wish to express whatever my feelings are about that through that medium right so i don't do i don't do twee stuff even though my medium is kind of considered twee i use it like um a soft medium for hard topics is, is basically what it is right and that can really offend people too right it you can take any subject and if you make a piece about it in wool, it can soften it for a lot of people because they'll suddenly see it through different eyes. Mm. And then you get that brigade that are really offended that you've taken something that's soft and woolly and used it, you know, for something that is quite brutal right. in many ways, you know. So, yeah, I like that juxtaposition. I like that as well. Yeah. I didn't start out that way, though. Right. Um, I started in graphics. I, I went to graphic design college and, you know, did all that. Loved loved having a brief and coming up, playing with words, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is pre-computer. And right. I have not got great eyesight. Okay. And everything was done on light boxes. I see, yeah. And letter set catalogues. What's that? <laughs> What's a letter set catalogue? It's a thing of beauty. Right. It's, we used to get letters that were printed on sheets and you use a pencil and you rub them onto the page. That was letter set. Okay. This is before you could just go into Photoshop and do whatever you liked. Ah. So, and, and you would trace things from the letter set catalogue, which is every kind of font you could get. You would like photocopy it, go to your light box, trace it. Of course, I couldn't see the line to trace it. And I got really quite freaked out about it. Right. And I thought, I can't, I can't carry on like this. Well, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this for a living. Um, so I decided to quit graphics and go to foundation course 
and see, have a go at everything and see what worked best for me. I, I should say I was a mature student. I wasn't, this wasn't me as a young kid. Right. Um, we emigrated when I really wanted to go to art college when I okay. was like 16. Yeah, because I was going to say you've had a you've had a, a somewhat international life, haven't you? I have in some ways <laughs> a bit. Yeah, uh, is it more or less international than than Eleanor's was? Uh, uh, no, about the same. About yeah. the same. Oh, well, we emigrated at the same time. Only she was very young. Very young. You know, but I was uh, fifteen and a half, I think, when we we emigrated, and I didn't want to go. Right. Because I, you know, I love my music. I was an avid reader of the enemy, you know, the idea of just uprooting myself at that age to a country I'd never been to um, was horrifying. Yeah. And I wanted to go to art college, This, you know, because I was reading about punk bands and everything. It was all rock and roll. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And and I wasn't allowed. <laughs> uh, so, was this, was punk rock frowned upon by your parents? Because from what I've, from what I've um, heard, is it you, you had fair? Didn't you have fairly liberal? Yeah, parents? no, no. My parents they they weren't bothered about our music taste. They were quite forward thinking. No, I think it was just the real issue was that my parents' marriage was failing, right. and rather than sort of own up to that, they did what a lot of people do. They think we'll go somewhere else and try again. But of course, you bring all the problems with you, yeah. and it just breaks down somewhere else. And that's exactly what happened. It was like, no, we're going to emigrate. We emigrated, and my parents ended up splitting up over there, right. which unfortunately split the whole family apart, you okay. know, so that was not a happy time. Um, and I did want to go to art college. That's what I wanted to do, you know. But instead I had to go work for a living in a country I had nothing in common with. Right. So at this point you were in Ireland. No, no, Scotland. No. Oh, 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 you got to keep up here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So where does, where does the journey start for you? Uh, in... The journey starts... So I was born in London. Right. Um, just by accident. My mum happened to be on holiday. I was born in England. She knew she was pregnant though, right? She no. did know she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, she says I wasn't premature, but why she would be on holiday heavily pregnant, I don't know. But anyway... She was a bad curry. And, yeah. yeah boom, like there you go. I was born in my grandpa's bed. Really? Yeah. <laughs> born at home with two teeth, apparently so no yeah, make of that what you will <laughs> no <laughs> two front teeth born with two front teeth mm, mm. been there's talking some, ever since <laughs> <laughs> sounds like some amazing lyrics to like a blues song yeah i think da, na, na, na. <laughs> i was born with two front teeth <laughs> have shut us since yeah. um amazing yeah so we we lived in ireland till i was 10 okay then wait, wait, London moved. and then Ireland. Well, I didn't live in London. I was born in you London. You were born there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she, she was on holiday. holiday. Right. Grew up south of Dublin. Yeah. And then, uh, emig well, you don't really emigrate, but went from Ireland to Scotland. Okay. Which is where my grandparents are from. And six years after that, Canada. Okay. Were you quite pleased to leave Ireland? No, I, lo I loved Ireland, actually. Okay. Because we were hanging out the other day and you were telling mm. me about your experiences of Catholic school. Oh, I didn't love that part. Yeah, and that sounded to me quite interesting because I've heard a lot about old school Catholic school yeah, yeah. and how hardcore some of it was. And it sounds like, did you say there was an orphanage attached to your... Most of most of the state schools had orphanages. Right. Um, yeah, ours was St. Joseph's and... Um, yeah, there was a big kind of foreboding building next to our part of the school was modern, newly built, but the old part was, you know, quite archaic. Um, yeah, you used to see both sides, you know. We were day students, and, you know, in comparison, we were quite well off, you know, right. but you saw this other more harrowing side. Um, yeah, I hated, I hated school, but I now know, and, and the same with high school, I was a daydreamer. Right. I couldn't concentrate on anything. So I hated school because it was just a trial for me. You know, they'd say, Talbot, concentrate. And I would, you know, be like pressing my eyes closed together going, oh, yeah, I can't concentrate. And next thing I'm like traipsing through the daisies somewhere. I just right. can't do it. So school yeah. was almost like, like um, putting mental... Um Put you in a mental box. Yeah, I, I was just a daydreamer. I've always been a daydreamer that way, you know. Um, and, and observational. I guess I was just an observational kid, 
You notice everything around you, and I questioned everything around me. And the one thing you must never do is question nuns, <laughs> and certainly not about religion. Right. And I used to do that. Oh. Mm. So what would you? What was? What was your questions? Who made God? And then what do they go? What do they uh, well, Nobody made God. I, you a... just got a slap for that. <laughs> yeah, but who made God? Wallop. <laughs> no, and like, why? Why can't my pets go to heaven? And you know. What what is purgatory? Wait, you pets know? don't go to heaven. No. Oh my God! Where are my fish? <laughs> not only do they not go Mom? to heaven, but unbaptized people just stay in limbo. Specifically, so this, evil, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. This, you know, how does a kid get their head around that? They don't. It's um, mm. it's too much. It's but too but much. having said that, Ireland was also quite forward-thinking in many ways because it had a big influence from the States. So we used to go to a great cinema. We'd get all the American films. Our television used to get all the American shows. So you were kind of torn between these two cultures all the time, you know. And, and why is that? Is this Because I think you were saying, I think it was you that was saying when we were talking the other day that Ireland was a bit like a third-world country but not yeah i mean there was there was extreme poverty and you didn't have to go too far to see it i mean i remember slums in dublin were like real kind of victorian slums you, right. you saw that but then you'd go into like the center of dublin and there'd be incredible modern buildings or you know nice trains and you know this kind of yeah two different worlds it's it's port city it would get a lot of things happening in dublin you know it's just yeah we did and my my father had traveled the world my mum was had traveled so you know i was torn between two kind of cultures all the time right mm. and so what was the what was why was the decision made to go to scotland uh that that's a whole other story um my father was uh he was a police officer at dublin port and docks right and this is uh, 1972, I think, uh, there was a raid by the IRA uh, uh, on the docks and wow. he was held at gunpoint for many hours. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't very pleasant. Um, uh, that kind of blew his mind. He didn't want to... Right, we're do, going. Yeah, he just didn't want to <clears> be a part of it anymore, especially when they caught the gang and the guy that had him... Um, at gunpoint, was only about 17. They did actually shoot a guy, but thankfully it was only a flesh wound. It didn't, he didn't... Right. They, they were trying to get the money from the wages, the docker's wages. I see. And the guy wouldn't open the... the um, uh, what do you call so they it? Gave the safe. A, so they right. shot him and... Just to show they, just, they were serious. Yeah. Right. So, you know, my dad was saying, like, you're not a hero in those situations. Not when you've got yeah. a sawn-off shotgun at your neck, you know. So, yeah, yeah I think that just was the last straw for him you know well that's fair enough if there ever there was a reason to get out of dodge yeah i mean i i think he just because he he'd traveled the world and everything and he um he always had a love affair with england and an english culture um uh, he, he loved uh, he also loved hollywood films and things like that so i think he found the sort of Catholic Ireland of the sixties very oppressive, right? Because he was more forward thinking. Is he was is he Irish? He was Irish. Irish yeah, right. he is. He was very Irish, but um, <laughs> but a worldly Irishman, you know. Right. And he went to private school, even though he came from working class. My grandmother paid for him to go to private school, which actually was a mistake. Really? Because well. Because it taught him to be something he he wasn't. Do you know what I mean? He didn't come from money. Yeah. So he always had a chip on his shoulder all his life because, like as with people who go to Eden, and they're like, you're taught that you are something other. Yeah. And and so he's never really he never really found his place. He was always sort of striving for, you know. It's I know what you're, yeah he's around so many people who who he knows that as soon as that that, that education ends there's another another round of privilege coming yeah. their way yeah. and his ends potentially yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he always felt 
yeah, torn. All, all his life he felt torn. I think that's why we moved so much. He was never, he could never find where he belonged. Right. You know, shortly before he died, um, he did end up exactly where he wanted to be because he, he was acting, he was an artist, and he ended up living at the Performing Arts Lodge in Vancouver and getting involved there. They had their own theatre. He basically became the granddaddy of the building and put on shows, and, and he was truly happy there. He'd finally right. found his place, but it took till his, you know, almost till his dotage to get there. Right. You know, yeah. Fascinating. Mm. Um, and do you think that maybe, although, you, like you said, that his, his, um, his private education was possibly a mistake. Yeah. Do you feel that that, that extra level of education that he was getting was possibly responsible for installing that worldliness in him. Yeah, uh, because, he also... Because there's a world out there and mm. you can access it. Yeah, but he also was in stuff. the Merchant Navy, you see, he travelled. Right. So, you know, it's a funny story. He was sent from Ireland to go get his elder brother who had joined the Merchant Navy and his mother sent him over to talk sense into his brother and bring him back. Right. But what happened was his brother talked Talk him into joining <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up going around the world, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? You know, and, and the stories he used to tell of, like, you know, travelling to Africa and stuff and the Spice Islands and everything. You know, he had a whale of a time. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when you go, so you're in Scotland for a little while mm -hmm. and then the marriage is starting to, your parents' marriage is starting yeah. to disintegrate. Yeah. And they go, all right, we'll try, let's try a new... Mm blank slate let's mm -hmm. let's try again you go to canada which part of canada i guess vancouver no 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 right? if it, i think if it had been vancouver we might have all been okay right no we ended no, why, up why in, is that why do you think that because uh, vancouver is a port city it's very modern you know it's, familiar it's culturally in some ways. you know the same as most cities but where we ended up in calgary which is uh, a western um oil town basically it's it is a beautiful city and I, I, I don't want to knock Calgary because I don't want to knock Canada. They are. It was me who couldn't settle. Right. But you know, it, it was a different culture. You, in Calgary's very famous for the Calgary Stampede, which is cowboys and Indians and right. that lifestyle, and and it's also all about oil. It's an oil town, you know. So there, that was what the lifestyle was. So, so the what I guess in Cal it's very cold in Calgary. Right. Is in wintertime, north, north yeah. Northwest, is it? Uh, yeah. Um, so it's a hard working, yeah. tough, mm. I guess it's a working, very working class place. Yeah. And then you add in those extreme elements in terms of the, the, the climate. And I guess you got yourself a very rough, not rough, but it, tough it, town, it, hardy. It, it wasn't, no, I'm making it sound like they were, we were on oil rigs. We weren't. It's a <laughs> modern, it's, it's, if you think of Dallas, it's yeah. like the mirror image of Dallas. It's a very similar ah, city. Okay. So it's all skyscrapers, big business, oil business. So actually very modern, but not very cultural. Mm. You know, the the music and everything was still quite redneck in, right. compared to what I was used to. So you'd, you'd come from, what year is this, by the way? Uh, 78. 78. So you are coming off the heels of punk rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So you've yeah, right. So you've so you've you've gone to Canada, you know about punk rock. Yeah. You've you've been into punk rock, you've your life's been changed by yeah. punk rock. I mean not just punk rock, I mean the Ziggy whole, Stardust, everything. I was the into whole, that. Yeah, yeah. The whole um yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. And so you that that's life changing stuff, isn't it? Mm. Because that is the stuff at that age. When you fi I find when people at, at that age find punk rock and find stuff like Bowie and yeah. and or Bowie yeah. and uh, and and the Snazigi Stardust and all that stuff, that's life changing and it really informs who you are yeah. for a good few years at the Absolutely. very at the very least. Mm. And for many, you know, it gets refined and whatever, but they carry that with them as you do, yeah. as I will. So not not a lot of culture in Calgary. So you get not, there and not you're a like, culture I related to. Uh, Obviously, there is culture. But, it's just not one that but not I punk could, rock. Not what you. No. So you 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 tasted punk rock and everything, and you and you were into it, and you were in the, yeah. in the heart of it, I guess. Yeah. And now, did, could you not have imported? 
punk rock well, to well, Calvary? No, what, uh, <laughs> no, it's all on you. It's all no, on you, no, Kate. No, 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 no. Uh, actually, what I did was I put an ad in the enemy. Did they have enemy in Calvary? No, I wrote to the enemy. In from the, Canada, I wrote to the enemy. Yeah, and I put an ad in saying, you know, like I went really into Ziggy and what have you. Um, I'm over here. I'm, uh, you know, I don't don't feel like this is my place. And I got just loads. I ended up with 33 pen pals, mostly male. Right. And they saved my life. They'd send me mixtapes and magazines and tell me what... I mean, there was one guy in particular. He was fantastic. I never met him. Right. But he he kind of, you know, took pity on me and he'd write to me and he'd send me mixtapes and he'd tell me that he'd just written... Uh, just read this great book so I would get the book. And, and he basically led me into all my tastes seemed to have come from him, you know. Right. Because he was... Yeah, he, he was into German authors at the time, like Gunter Grass and things like that. And he'd say, you know, oh, you must read this book. And yeah, it was a lifeline. It was amazing. Wow. Mm. Wow. And have you, have you never met that? You've never no. met this person. What, no. At what point did contact cease with this person? Because it's all pen pals or <laughs> Believe it or not, my, my handbag was stolen before I was due to come back to Britain on holiday and it had all my contacts in it. And I didn't know them off by heart. And this is before mobile phones. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Never found the addresses, never found... Do you know uh, what his name was? Yeah. Keith Pearson. Doesn't sound like anything, does it? Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to meet him, though. Oh, he's better as a, yeah, as a, because it, a, a it's phantom like, of your past. Yeah, because I did meet... I did meet two people that I wrote to and they were not... Yeah, hugely. Because some people only live on the page. Some people are amazing on a page. Right. Their personality, everything about them lives on this page and then you meet them in real life and they're... They're a paperweight. Yeah, exactly. A total lightweight, you know, like, you know, sometimes when you go to shake somebody's hand and it's a wet lettuce... (laughs) You know, and and it's crushing when you've thought that they were these, you know, giants. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're not, and and they can't even look you in the eye. They're so nervous, and that was shattering. I was devastated when I met one in particular, that that's what he was like, and it's like, no. No, you were so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, he he couldn't even look me in the eye. He couldn't, yeah, it was terrible. It was, it was... Yeah, very crushing. <laughs> well, maybe this is why these people have pen pals. No, I think I think that's yeah. very true, you know. And, because and they get to... Maybe they're not exaggerating. Maybe that is their internal monologue. No, I, I think some people... Yeah, that's that's how that's their comfort zone. That's where they are. And, and you know, I ruined it because I wanted to meet them. Right. You know, and I'm devastated that I did that. So I decided I'd never do that again. That's fascinating. It's like I, I never wanted to meet David Bowie. I adored him, but I never wanted to meet him because... He wasn't real. Ziggy wasn't real. He's an alien, you know what I mean? We had this special relationship, but it wasn't something that was grounded. Yeah. You know, so no, you can't, you can't, um, you can't do that. Right. Yeah, Yeah, no, they do say never meet your heroes, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And there's a great quote from Lemmy, and it's probably, I'm probably paraphrasing it, but he he said something like, you don't want your rock stars Hmm. to look like, your next door neighbour. No. You want them to look like they've come here from outer space. Absolutely. And, and that's that's what that's I felt Ziggy about started. Ziggy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when he when he moved to New York, married a supermodel, straightened his teeth, and then floated himself on the stock exchange, you know, that that was this ain't rock and roll, this is genocide. <laughs> you know, that was the end for me. You know. Right. It, I was so shattered that he did that. You know, because he completely changed. I loved his crooked teeth. Right. That was all part of the look, you know what I mean? It yeah. just, yeah. I, I, I. So you felt he was betraying, he was betraying your, your version of it. He became real. That's the hero. problem. Yeah. No, he just became a real person. Right. A real person who was bothered about his, the look of his teeth because suddenly he's with a supermodel. That's how I interpreted it. Well, you know, yeah. supermodels yeah. can, uh, you know, yeah. they can put a stark contrast on you. Yeah. They, you know, ways. and I just thought, oh, no, that's not, 
that's not it. <laughs> Interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. So you were in Canada and so you're like, okay, now I have to work. You wanted mm. to do art college. Mm. Was there no sort of infrastructure in terms of the education realm for art colleges? Oh, and, no, of course there are. Right. There are, absolutely. But you had to pay for it and it's very expensive. And oh. I should say there would have been there would have been underground clubs and things. I just never found them. Right. You know, they would have been there. They weren't that backward, you know, but I couldn't find my niche. I couldn't find those people. And when I did find anything that was artistic or whatever, as I said earlier, it's art with a capital A. It's not the kind of thing you can just mosey on into, you know, I mean, you, you'd, mm, you've yeah. had to do your time and, and you know, because culturally new countries are like that. They, they become, you know, uh, more passionate than, than they need to be kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like they're the first ones to ever discover things like that. And it becomes very pious and, you right. know, I, so I was never comfortable with that. I could never just sort of gate crash into anything like that. Oh, so it was too, right. So you found it sort of not inaccessible. But it just wasn't your thing. Well, you found no, the, no. The... I, I didn't know how to get in. Right. You know, so wh- it was whenever there was and... any, yeah, very right. cliquey, very cliquey, and and the, that cultural divide. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really find a way into that. I Surely they would have loved uh, because you would have had this sort of new girl in town, sort of like you know, you're not from there. That makes you inherently interesting. I, you know, I think the problem is when when you go and move to a different country. You and when you don't want to go, and you know the culture shock was quite severe. Um, what you want to do is find familiar, right. so you hang around with with other British people, and and all the things that you miss, which is the worst thing you can do, because right. you end up hanging around with people you wouldn't choose to necessarily hang around with normally, mm. and you become this closed little group you know and the brits abroad are the worst (laughs) so you have your own little england's which aren't that's not you know that's not what you need to do Mm. you you really need to move in to the rest of the of the culture but i i kind of never really met many people you know that i could um yeah bond with because of who i hung around with and and who i worked with because it was in the oil industry they were all geologists and you know they weren't really into my kind of music fascinating people in their own right Mm. geologists my um charlie who Mm. was guitarist in sick ones Mm. he's got a geology degree right for hours on tour Mm. he'd just be hitting me up with geology facts Mm. Mm. and um and I used to love it. So, geologists are fascinating people, but I imagine that, uh, 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 they're not all like Charlie. I imagine there's a lot of well, them who are quite studious bookworms and maybe no, not. No, actually, into- there was one guy who was a, gr- a great friend of mine over there, um, and he had a brilliant music taste, absolutely right. superb. He was like, a, he came from Dallas originally in America, and he'd been in the Vietnam War, which had disturbed him somewhat um but he had an incredible music taste and he used to make me great mixtapes but everything else about him we had nothing in common right because he he was still an oil man you know what i mean yeah he had this great music taste but it didn't kind of it it was just music it never went anywhere else it didn't go into literature or films or anything like that it was just his music Ah. and so you know we didn't hang out together right what was on these mixtapes Oh, I mean, he'd put things like the Hoodoo Gurus in with, um, uh, ooh, trying to think, Teardrop Explodes, you know, things I wouldn't even think he'd know about. Right. You know, and then he'd mix them in with some obscure independent from Mexico or whatever. You know, he just, he had a terrific music taste. Flexing, flexing mm. on you, mm. he was. Yeah. Great, great yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so at what point do you decide that you need to be the artist that you are? I I was always it in some form or another, but mostly in writing rather than um, than art per se. Um, I wrote all the terrible angst teen poetry <laughs> <laughs> that that my dear sister has put into a. She hand wrote it all out in a book and gave it to me for my birthday one year, and it was like, no, this is going to come back and haunt me someday. So even if I burnt that, I think. 
I think if I ever become famous, there'll be another copy line somewhere. somewhere. There's, so, a, oh, no, there's a backup, an offsite backup. Oh my God, it's embarrassing mm. when you read through. I, I moved recently and mm. in the move, I found all kinds of things that I thought had been long gone, mm. lost or things mm. I forgot existed. I found all kinds of Thunderbirds memorabilia the other day, <laughs> which is great. Mm. I, I, I mean, yeah. I love that. It's a big part of my childhood. But I also found a folder titled lyrics oh <laughs> and i am um, harry's smiling because he might see this next time he comes oh, around my house God. and might hide it um i might show you the book if i get drunk one day right, okay <laughs> all right we'll make sure that happens <laughs> and yeah i looked in this this thing and it was from like before i was drumming in yeah. a band i was asked because it's one of those things a bit like what you, what you were saying it's where you try and find your kin yeah and in school i was one of a handful of kids that really liked metal or whatever mm. this alternative music mm. and so by virtue of just enjoying that music mm. you get asked to join a band because you're the only one who could possibly yeah. maybe imitate what you're listening to mm. with some others mm. and just see what happens so i started out being a vocalist a singer for a metal band which All right. quickly turned into a punk band that i drummed for because right. i was doing cadet stuff but so yeah so this 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 folder of lyrics is literally from a very small window of time <laughs> where I was like, all right, I'm the singer of a band now. What am I going to do? And I said, they're just the worst. They are the worst. They're, what they're, rhymes oh, with? Yeah. And they're so dark and yeah, stuff. You'd, yeah. have thought, you'd have thought that I was like, I don't know. It's just like, I, I read it. I'm like, what were you Is thinking? it any worse than this? Go. Subjected to reality, a timeless lord of fate, when Homo sapien ruled the world and death was born of hate. Uh. <laughs> that's actually miles better than anything I mine would have been oh like through God. the shadow of the valley of death I hate you <laughs> oh dear yes awful <laughs> so you were a writer hmm. um, I want to I was going to be a rock journalist that's what my dream uh, was okay. I wanted to be the next Julie Birchall and who's that I probably feel like I should know oh my god you don't know who Julie Birchall is mm. she was the queen of the enemy Right, okay. Mm. She was, oh my God, an amazing journalist, um, complete psycho, you know, if she didn't like you, she'd ruin your career kind of thing. Uh, yeah, you, I, I can't really put it into words. She was, she was everything right. um, and, and evil with it, you know. And then I, I once... Years later, I once heard her talk, and she has a little munchkin voice. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Again, the way that you you perceive these people on the yeah, page yeah. is they're these mighty monoliths. Yeah. yeah. And then when you meet them, you're like, nah, you mm. ain't shit. <laughs> I, yeah, but she, she's still going strong. Right. Yeah, she's, she's quite an interesting character. Yeah, she was married to Tony Parsons, the author, Tony Parsons. Okay. Not Alan Parsons. Not Alan Parsons, no. Tony Parsons. I've heard of that. She has a sense of humour. (laughs) Yeah, but that, yeah, I was going to be a rock journalist. Right. That was my dream. Okay. And was she your main influence? Yeah. Were you more, um, were you more sort of benevolent than she was? Or were you, were you trying to find that angle where you could be a little bit mean and get some attention? No, no. I mean, I didn't have no experience in it at all. I just, I just used to love the enemy, you know, that just seemed cool. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anything about music. <laughs> just seemed like a cool thing to do. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Get in a van with a band mm-hmm. and disappear. Mm-hmm. Chronicle it. Take photos. Yep. Rolling Stone, maybe. Why not? So where, how far did you get with that? Nowhere. Oh. Don't be daft. <laughs> <laughs> it's Calgary. I got nowhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. How many bands, how many like sort of original bands playing original material were in Calgary at that time? Do you... Was it loads or was it a handful? I don't even know how big Calgary is. It's a big city. All the big bands came to Calgary. Right. Yeah. So you weren't that off-grid. Oh, no, no. This I feel is like just I'm a... painting it out to no, me. It's like no, weird. And, it's and, and I am, I'm doing, it a, I'm doing it a disservice. Um, it's, I, I saw amazing bands in Calgary. I really did. Um, but it took a few years to get established to to, you know, get my apartment and do all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, the first few years were in the wilderness, like they would be, you know, I was only a teenager, you know, so finding my way. Yeah. Um, but then when I did discover that I could go see bands and all kinds, I mean, I saw 
you name it, I saw them there. You know, so yeah, it was good. Okay, so Calgary's Calgary. We, we're good with Calgary. Calgary's yeah, good. Yeah, it's not like I said. It, the problem was me. I never wanted to go. I ended up in a town that is all oil industry. There's nothing else, mm. you know, so that's your culture. And, you know, oil by its very nature is a redneck industry. So, yeah, I was lost. And, and, and like you said, it took a few years to get established. How, what, how were you in, in those days? Were you, were you shy? Were you outgoing? Were you the kind of person that would just go, there's a gig on tonight, yeah. I kind of feel like I know what the vibe of that's going to be. Yeah. I'm just going to rock up on my own and I'll have a friend by the end of the night or I'll no, try and introduce I, myself. No, I don't think it... I, I'm uh, actually quiet. I kind of keep to myself. Um, I mean, I would go out at friend, with friends at weekends and if I knew a big band was coming, I would go and see that, but I would always go with other people. Right. I wasn't that brave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, these were big stadiums. So that, you know, they, I didn't go to like little venues although i did my friend's birthday we went to a bar called frankie and johnny's and the guy playing the house band was one mr brian adams oh um it was my birthday and he sang ziggy stardust to me did he mm. and that's before he was famous oh. six months later he became a hit yeah wow yeah so how do we get to your graphic design work where do we go um i had a great job in, in Canada um, eventually. I had a fantastic job. I uh, worked by myself on the 40th floor of a skyscraper, <laughs> um, which up there was just like a huge storage area with fantastic views all the way around. And I worked with maps. I catalogued maps, again, before computers or just at the cusp of computers coming in. Um, so I would be smoking up there i'd be playing my music i'd just be dancing around doing my thing what year is this uh this is 86 85 86 okay fabulous you know i had a great time um and but i was on contract i worked for myself and i was on contract to texaco and eventually my contract ended i finished the work and that was the job and they offered me another job working in a department I didn't like. And I went for uh, lunch with a friend of mine. It was a very boozy lunch. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't want to work with this person. And she said, you're always going on about going back to Britain. Why don't you just put your money where your mouth is? And, you know, we drank a bit more. And on the way back to the office, I bought a one-way ticket. And three days later, I was in England. And okay. I, I don't know what happened. Did you? I was high on Valium because I'm terrified of flying. Um, I thought you went the whole time. Then. No, I thought, she's <laughs> no. here by mistake. Yeah, no, really. I I made this decision to leave, and that was the only way I could have done it. Like, just buy a ticket and go. Do it, not overthink it. Yeah, don't overthink do it. it. I I said to my sister, one of my sisters, I said, I'm I'm going, and she came over with her friends, and people were saying, I'll give you twenty bucks for your you know, for, for this chair and I'll take this and, you know, and they stripped my place and, like I say, three days later I'm on a plane. You didn't leave any records behind, did you? I did. <gasps> I left my entire collection of Bowie stuff behind, yeah, everything. So you just you just took, like, carry-on stuff, did you, just a suitcase? Cases, that's all I took. And did you have anywhere to go when you got here? <laughs> well, surprisingly... Not when... one of my pen pals. No, um, no, no, God, no, no. Um... <laughs> I, my apartment, I, I used to make, uh, we used to go to an English, uh, Irish bar actually, and a lot of the soldiers who were based at Red Deer used to come into Calgary at the weekends and they would go to the same bar and you'd get to know them all. Um, and one guy, his wife was coming over because in the army you're allowed to bring family members over on, every once in a while. So I would lend them my apartment and I'd go stay at my sister's. So I got quite pally with them and they said, oh, if you ever come over and you need anywhere to stay, you know, we'll, we'll put you up. So I'd phoned them and they said, yeah, you know, come on over. And I arrived in Heathrow and phoned them and they just got posting that morning to Berlin. <laughs> so I couldn't go to them. And... Um, so I was kind of desperate, like, what do I do? And I, I phoned my sister who lived in L.A., but her best friend lived in Yorkshire, and she gave me her number, and I phoned her, and she said, yeah, get on a train, come up, and that was that. I came up to Yorkshire, got a job within the week, and two months later, the company I was 
working for got bought out by the company that Neil worked for and met him. And I was going to say, enter Neil. Enter Neil. I love Neil. Yeah. He's oh, such a did, lovely yeah. man. Yeah. And he went to art college, you see. He was ah. a graphic designer. Right. And I said, I've always wanted to do that. And he just said, why don't you? And I didn't know that you could just apply like that. Right. So I did. And we were, like the night before my interview at the college, we were making up a portfolio because obviously I didn't have anything. Right. And I had a couple of old drawings here and there. And we were, I was, we were at a photocopier at his office making up things. I remember I had this, I was photocopying the Mona Lisa and colouring her in with, um, like a highlighter pens and just doing stupid, <laughs> really stupid things. Um, and we just made this portfolio and I got in. Did Neil chuck you a few pieces? No, actually he didn't. No, so it was, it was all, all, it was no, all on I, the original on the no, cast he did, stuff? No, I did have some stuff with me, some drawings right. and things that I used to do. And um, yeah, I got in and I got a full grant as well, which was fabulous. Yeah, so. Is that because your stuff was so good? I don't, I don't think so, no. Okay. Okay, and where was this? In Yorkshire? Yeah, Batley Art College, okay. which is, um, it's a great art college. So I, I went to do graphic design because that's what he did. Yeah. And I loved it because it was the the perfect pairing of word and image, you know, how to, you know, you, you've got a campaign and you've got to bring this to people, how would you do it? And I really enjoyed that. And then roll on to the part where I couldn't see the letter set. Yeah. And then I transferred over to Foundation and then learned that actually I quite like playing with different mediums and stuff. And so I went to do a fine art degree. So, one thing I'm wondering as well <laughs> is, is that you've gone from, because of the eyesight, mm. I, know, I know a lot of people, I don't know a lot of people, I know some people who um, have been like seamstresses or mm. have done lots of, lots of fiddly work mm. with textiles mm. over the years. And their eyes are shot mm. to pieces from from all of the intensive focusing mm. and squinting and stuff like that. You didn't come across those those issues with your eyesight with this, no, the, when you were the, working the with lint thread and no, stuff. No, no, no. The problem with my eyesight is I've astigmatism. Right. So I couldn't see when I had to use a light box. I couldn't see that properly. There's oh. actually nothing wrong with my eyes. It was just that process, which at the time was how you had to do it that I couldn't cope with because, okay. you know, they, no. And I don't, um, I don't really consider myself a needlework person. That's just, this is the weird thing. I went to do fine art, so it was painting. Right. So I did painting before I did anything. And it was only because, um, you know, you, you go to fine art, you spend the first couple of years just you know, banging into walls, not knowing what you're supposed to do. And nobody really tells you. And then suddenly you've got six months before you have to put on a degree show and you're panicking. <laughs> you know, that's right. what it's like. Everybody's wandering around going, oh, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I had been reading a book uh, uh, by Derek Jarman. He just died of AIDS. And I, I, I picked up one of his books and I was reading it. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was at the time, the AIDS crisis, and um, they, when they had that famous quilt, you know, in America, where they did the quilts to remember everybody. I, I do not oh, remember Okay, okay. The, the, there was a big thing in the States, in San Francisco particularly, people who died of AIDS, their family would make a quilt in memoriam. Okay. And this quilt ended up filling, like, the equivalent of, like, 10 or 12 football fields. Oh. Yeah, it became a huge thing. And I was reading all about this. And so I was thinking, what am I going to do for my dissertation? And I decided I would do it on Derek Jarman because he just died and it was all to do with AIDS. Um, and up until that point, I'd been painting. And I was thinking, I, I want to do a portrait of him, but I want it to kind of capture his personality you know, um, because when you when you read his books, he's a, he was a terrific writer, and he he wasn't just this sort of gay icon, but he was he was just a lovely character. Hmm. And I thought I I don't really know how I can bring him to life. And for some reason, I just thought I'm going to make him out of wool. It was just a mad idea. And that lunchtime, I went down into Leeds City Market because there was a great um, haberdashery stall there. And I bought a crochet hook and some flesh-coloured wool. I had no idea what I was going to do. And it took me six months, but I basically 
made Derek out of wool. And, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it came out really well, if I do say so myself. Right. Um, and that's where it began. So it wasn't any method. I just invented it myself. I just kind of thought, right, it's flesh-coloured wool. So if I make a shape that's roughly like that, that could be a hand. Mm. And if I pushed it there and pulled it there, you know, I could make fingers out of it. That's how I did it. It was just sculpture right. using wool. So I, when people say you're a textile artist, it's like, that's just the material I use. I don't know anything about textiles. I've never woven anything. I've never been taught embroidery. I don't know how to knit. I really don't know how to crochet very well. Right. You know, so I actually feel a big cheat when people say that. That's just the medium I use. And do you ever... In my own way. Right. Do you ever worry that if you did actually learn how to... Yeah, I don't want it. I don't want it. All of a sudden you'd be like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because people have often said, why don't you... You should use a sewing machine. And it's like, oh my God, no. I'd be terrified. Because then it would be all straight lines. And it would control me. You know, Uh, whereas... Right now, the fun part is if I start something, I have this vague idea in my head, I'm going to make something. Right. I haven't a clue how I'm going to do it. I just start it. Right. And then we go along for the ride. Because when you're working with wool, and you probably don't know this, obviously, wool, you know, the more you pull wool or twist wool, the tension changes and it fights back. And it creates, you know, if you pull it a certain way, it'll mold that way and what have you. Um so you can never fully control it. Oh. It's, you've got to work with it, you know. So it's... So you have to tame it. Yeah, or it tames you, you know. And right. it, it's like, I, it's, it's a surprise. It's always a surprise. Right to the end, I look back at it and think, oh, I like how that happened, you know. But yeah. I didn't deliberately try that, you know what yeah. I mean? So it was like painting, but better than painting for me because... If I'm painting, I have to control the flow of that paint and I have to make it look realistic or get the perspective right or whatever. I don't with wool, so it's just totally free, you know, and quirky. And then when I make these pieces, the weird thing is it it brings out this nostalgia in people because... It's got a, a connotation with granny. Yeah, knitting, exactly, yeah. exactly. It goes back to a time when your clothes were made by your mum, your aunt, you know, your granny, and then, you know, your jumper would be passed down, unwound, re-knitted, given... It's, it, you know, that was their way of hugging you when they weren't there kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So it has those connotations, so... Which yeah. is why you said earlier that some people get very offended yeah, with your no, work. no, they do, they do. Because to them... You know, how dare you use something so nice and warm and soft? Yeah. Yeah. And something that to, to put me, Boris's face on it. Right. Yeah. And something that to me denotes love, <clears throat> yeah. care, mm. um, um, some sort of maternal yeah. vibe. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, possibly paternal, but traditionally very yeah. maternal. Um, and there, yeah, and you've made uh, uh-huh. some sort of caricature of Boris. Yeah. Or you've made... Um, but but you can look at it that way, but yeah. you could also look at it and say, you know, look what he's doing to all these things we hold dear. Uh, and maybe, you know, because I've made it in that, it might make you think twice, you know, that actually he's not soft and cuddly. He's quite conniving and, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's It's... It's saying, look closely. It's you know. Yeah. He's not what you think he is. There's some levels to it. Yeah, yeah. What what other things have I've seen a bunch of things. I've seen some. um, I've seen what have I seen? Like Heinz beans cans and. Uh, Yeah, they're just. I mean, I just make those playful things for something to do to you know, for, you know, commercial stuff. But I've done quite a lot of. Stingy stuff in wool. Stingy. Tell me about the stingy stuff the stingy in wool. Stingy stuff in wool. Because I've seen um, a lot of this in your in your shop front. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of your shop front. Of your hung shop. Hung drawn quoted. Hung drawn and that's right. No, not unquoted. Just hung drawn quoted. Hung drawn quoted. Quoted. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of it, mm. and obviously I've been I've been to your house mm. a bunch of times, and I've and I've enjoyed your big Sid Vicious um, cardboard <laughs> cutout at the top of the stairs, yeah. and and uh, all the other sort of various collectibles and trinkets and yeah. punk rock bits and bobs as you yeah. stroll around. It really is a sort of a feast. 
a sensory feast. Um, but but I, I understand a bit of your work, but just just bring everyone else in on sort of what are your stingier pieces, what are the bits that you would probably be I mean, most, most well known most for? Most of my pieces people haven't seen because right. they're gallery pieces. Um, I've tackled things like obesity crisis, binge drinking, um, family conflicts, uh, refugees. I've done pieces on that. Uh, I've done pieces on... Um, Nature versus nurture, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. And how how do you go about conceptualizing your message in wool for those? So, so tell me about the actual. Describe some of these these things to me. How you how did you tackle obesity in wool? I made I made a piece called the Big Bang, and I've made um, the five a day. You know, they say eat these five a day. Five but, vegetables a yeah, day. Yeah, but rather than vegetables, I've made them the five a day that you're more likely to see people eating. Right. <laughs> so I've I've copied them. So there's Walker's Crisp, there's um, energy drink, there's a McDonald's burger, there's a, like a double-sized chocolate bar, um, all stuff like that. And then coming from them are like wires leading to it's all done in wool leading to dynamite with a ticking clock on it so it's like the big bang <laughs> and again again because it's made in wool it's sort of saying it takes the edge off it a bit well yeah it? but it's also saying we've lost that family connection like we're letting our families eat this crap right we're not monitoring we because because we don't sit around the table and serve up homemade meals like we used to you know because that's how it was you know, now you do you know that your kid's having like three or four energy drinks a day? You know, you, you're probably not aware that that that's what they're eating and this is what it's going to do to them kind of thing. Right. You know, it's it's sort of saying we've lost, you know, the the one thing about having the family was it, it, it not only gave you this kind of um, uh, connection to everybody, but we all ate better and communicated better and everything because we were linked you know, as a family more than, you know, modern society, nobody's got time for anything. Yeah. And, you know, that's that also gets into arguments about who should do the cooking and stuff. I'm not, I don't, that's not what I'm saying. It's it's just, I'm just sort of saying, like, we're, we are not looking closely enough at what we're doing to ourselves, you know. And And the wool thing does kind of still link back to that, you know. Um, nurture versus or nature versus nurture yeah and, uh, and okay and what were the other subjects you mentioned there uh, I did one again on the nature versus nurture um, about how, how how you choose to bring people up like is it how you bring them up or is it how you're how you're born or whatever. So I, I did one of the seven deadly sins, but they're all as baby grows. Right. So they're hanging on a washing line. Yeah. And they're all, all the seven deadly sins are represented through these baby grows. So you've got vanity, you've got greed, you've got what have you, but they're all represented in a twisted way. It's right. kind of hard to describe. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of saving those for when I can put them on show in this town. Right. Yeah, but... Uh, What's stopping you from putting them on show? You just need to have a, a big enough collection? But, or? No, no, I've got the collection. I'm just waiting to finish our building so we can... Oh. You know... Which brings me on to Hung Drawn Quoted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me about that, because I didn't know you were doing that. and then I, I didn't know I was doing that Because didn't you of start off ago. doing some stuff in Poot? Yeah. With with um Kira. Yeah. Poot uh, Kira and Poot very kindly gave me um my my start and from allowed me to show my work in their windows. Poot is a um a sort of a vintage It's an eclectic handmade homemade um yeah just um emporium of delights. Yes. You know, there's everything from jewelry, clothing, vintage yeah, it's just a, a smorgasbord. Smorgasbord of of lovely things. Yeah, because I started seeing because when when I go to yours and mm. do sort of radio bits with Eleanor or hang out and have a drink with you guys and whatnot, then I started seeing 
stuff from your house mm. and I started seeing your stuff and, and that's how I put two and two together that you were right that, that oh that's not stuff you'd bought or whatever that was stuff you make yeah and then I saw so I saw it in poo and then I started seeing it in its own window mm. and then I was like oh we've upgraded here <laughs> so you so you were in poop for a bit and she mm. gave you that showcase mm-hmm. and that front window yeah did that was that successful enough from there to tell you, okay, there's a, there's, we could probably oh, I mean, go it, this it, alone. It was a great success, but I, but I did always want my own shop. That's right. always been my intention. When we moved to Froome, that's what I wanted. But it was where we could find something, you know, there wasn't, there just wasn't the opportunity yeah. at the time. And then the building that we're now in came up for auction and we were very lucky to, to win it. It needs a lot of work. I've been in. I've yeah, seen some work being done. It needs a hell of a lot of work. And we we moved in because um, we were going to do it up first, um, but then we found out that we couldn't get proper insurance unless we were actually in the building. So I decided to move in as a pop-up shop. Right. And, yeah, I've been in a couple of months and it's going great. It is and going actually good. Most, most people don't even realise it's... It's not supposed to be in that state. <laughs> it's it's very Shoreditch looking, yeah. Um, so tell tell me what sort of stuff you're selling in there. So you've got prints of yeah, uh, of your work. And it's mostly my artwork, yeah. Um, so all the cards based on my designs. There's there's well over a hundred different card designs in there. Uh, prints of my work, uh, tea towels, tote bags. I make um, shrink plastic. Uh, badges and things of like rock stars or soap opera stars or they're all kind of kitsch and yeah. quirky. I have a Prince badge that you, you gave me the other you day. Do. So thank you, you very do. much for yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, I have all kinds of stuff. And obviously I have the ongoing political war in the window. Yes, tell yeah. me about this. Well, that that started in Poot when, when Boris came to power and everything started going tits up. Um, I felt compelled to make a little doll of him, mainly so I could stab him with a needle many times. But, um, yeah, he he started as this little figure, and um, every time he put his foot in it, I would kind of make him, force him to do um, the Prime Minister's question time so that we could have the speech bubbles and we could see how ludicrous he really was. And he'd write it himself. I didn't even have to do much, you know. Right. But when you'd see it writ large in a speech bubble, you'd just say, this is ridiculous. And because I had it in the window, people started reacting to it. And then, of course, I had to keep up to it. And it's been going on ever since yeah, ever since he's been in power, really. And then with all the COVID thing. And it just, yeah, writes itself. Hence the reason he's with Peppa Pig in the window at the moment. That's weird. Right, that's strange, right? Mm. This is strange. This is very strange. What it, this, The school I'm, I'm working, mm-hmm. one of the students yesterday, I think, mm. what was today? Yesterday, changed the wallpaper of their computer mm. to a picture of Boris and there was a picture of Peppa Pig side yeah. by side. Mm-hmm. And he went, do you like my uh, new wallpaper, Andy? And I went, um, yeah. I was like, why is Peppa Pig next to Boris? And he was so like, I don't know, I just thought it was funny. So he didn't know about it? I don't... He must have kind of... He must have come in unconsciously, because it's out there at the moment. Because that's his latest faux pas, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I don't know. have you not heard about it? Oh no, tell God. me about it. No, tell me about it. A, he did a speech at the... Was it the CBI? And he was reading his notes and... Boris being Boris is never prepared. He turned up and started to just, you know, flap through it like normal, lost his thought, train of thought, then lost, completely lost his train of thought for like 20 seconds, which is a long Long time. Long time up there, yeah. And he just, he was just turning his notes over and going, forgive me, forgive me. And then he just starts launching into, oh, I went to Peppa Pig World and started just making up this thing about how wonderful Peppa Pig World was, you know, uh, and then trying to turn it into this, you know, what a global, successful enterprise Peppa Pig World is because it's got good road connections. And and then he started talking about cars and was going brum, brum, and it's, it's got... <laughs> <laughs> this is our prime minister. He's lost it. Pig world, yeah. Brum, brum. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly Fantastic. what it was. 
Fantastic. Okay. Oh, right. Well, I have to look at that. Yep. And now so I get it. Now you get uh, it. For a minute, I thought that those two events were completely unlinked. Oh, no. and but I had to phone around at seven o'clock at night to try and find a Peppa Pig because I got to be on it. <laughs> it's what's expected. <laughs> yeah, hi, it's Kate Tolbert. Do you happen to have a Peppa, a Peppa Pig? <laughs> oh, she's very attached to it, is she? Okay, no worries. I'll, I'll ring someone else. Um, amazing, amazing. <laughs> so... Um, Tell me, mm-hmm. I, had the, I had the great pleasure the other day uh, of um, taking on a mayoral duty, which, mm. let me tell you, was not a chore. <laughs> they never are. And this was opening up your new, what is it, exhibition? What is Installation. it? Installation. Yeah. Called Santa's Grotty. Not Santa's Grotto. No. Nope. Grotty. Yeah. Tell me, give me, give, tell me. Well, I, I know. I, yeah, I was, I was um, just chatting to friends a few weeks ago, and because we're doing up this this building that we're in at the back of where my shop is, is the space that's going to be the gallery, and the walls are, you know, in in entire state at the moment. There's plaster missing off. There's bits of the ceiling have fallen down, and and we were just saying, I you did know, clock that. Yeah, and we were thinking, you know, Christmas is coming, and somebody said, oh yeah. Uh, we should have a Santa's Grotto. And then we said, no, actually, it should be a Santa's Grotty. And then we got to talking about Dismal Land, which Banksy did. Mm. And then was, I thought... That was his his take on... That was an installation, wasn't yeah. it? On Disneyland. Yeah. I didn't go. I knew some people that went. Mm. Apparently, it was a very exclusive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. situation. I, I never got in. I, I right. tried to get tickets. I didn't get in. So I don't really know what it what what he did what was totally yeah, in there yeah right. i mean i'm assuming it was just sort of all about big business taking over and you know just what it does to the world kind of thing right through the eyes of like disney disney world or whatever done like that and and yeah turning it on its head um showing the darker side i think is what that was all about right and done like every year somebody puts on a Santa's Wonderland that turns out to disappoint everybody severely and it ends up in the tabloids, doesn't it? You yeah. know, my daughter will never get over it, you know, because Santa was only five. <laughs> it's just stupid things like that. Santa's wooden leg fell off. Yeah, exactly. Or Santa wasn't there or that wasn't a real reindeer. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. That kind of stuff. So we were just joking about it with friends. And then I was thinking, I suddenly thought, well, you know, I've got the, the Boris you know, conservative, yeah, showdown in the window, why don't I kind of carry that through? Right. And, and you know, because at the moment everybody's sort of looking at a not very pleasant Christmas if everything is going to be what they say it is, so there's yeah. going to be a shortage of food and, and toys. Apparently, you know, there's going to be mayhem. We right. won't be able to get anything. And so the new COVID variant. And the new COVID variant. So, um, so... Santa's Grotty is a grotto for adults only. Mm-hmm. It's not for children. And it's just about how the government have mishandled COVID and everything, you know, in the last few years and how we're getting into this terrible state everywhere right now because nobody's kind of keeping an eye on what they're doing. You know, billions of pounds are being lost on ridiculous things and nobody's been held accountable and... We're all sort of turning a blind eye. So maybe, you know, I, I really like satire because I believe that like many a, a true word is spoken in jest and that sometimes that's the way you have to get a point across. Like if you ever want to know what's going on in the world, look at the comedians, they'll tell you, yeah. you know. And, and so we thought, why, can't, why don't we do like a tongue-in-cheek but quite truthful um, installation based on you know santa's santa's grotto where you will be being disappointed is what you come in for (laughs) yeah so yeah um and it's five pounds entry it's five pounds entry that includes a raffle ticket for the christmas hampered and (laughs) and you get a free gift 
And I'm, I've I've had the free gift. You've um, had the free. I don't want to spoil it. No, don't. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Um. And but it is. It's sort of disappointing, but not as well. Yeah, exactly. Like it's fun. Yeah, you, you're supposed to be disappointed. I'm like, well, there's some weight to this. This yeah, might be good. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. And all the profits go to Fairfroom. So it is for charity. Right on. Yeah. Uh, Fairfroom, for those who don't know, is our Froom, uh, Froom bank, our food bank mm. here in Froom. And they also have a furniture bank as well. They're incredible. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. They do incredible work. They treat everyone with dignity. Everyone gets more than than they expect. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's incredible. I always, um, I always try to sort those guys out when I'm doing anything charitable or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the guys I go to. So, yeah, they're amazing. And that's amazing that, you know, you're turning something satirical and, and scathing mm-hmm. into something positive. Because yeah. cause you're, there's a few things... But the sad, the sad fact is we shouldn't need fair fruit. Right. You know, that that's the whole point of it. It's, you know, yeah. we're doing this for them because our government isn't looking after people. Right. That's what it comes down to, unfortunately. I think they say something like, you know, their goal is to sort of make themselves out of a job or something like that, you know? It's sort of like they want to be so successful or they want things to be so good that they, they're not actually needed anymore. What, who, the government no, say fair that? Froom. Oh, fair Froom. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I was going to yeah. say that doesn't sound like the government. <laughs> no, it does no, no, exactly. No, yeah. uh, no, it's wonderful that these places exist, but, you know, they shouldn't have to exist, Yeah, really. Yeah. And how much of Santa's grossy can we talk about? Because I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it. Um, yeah, it, well, basically just to say... If you come along, you you have to keep your eyes open. Right. You you mustn't rush through it. I, I to... wasn't. I couldn't rush through it because no. of some certain. I, I I want to talk about it. If I can. <laughs> I couldn't rush through it. No. 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 Yeah, I'm I'm worried that certain people kind of like I don't know what their expectations are because I don't have children so I don't know what a Santa's grotto really looks like and I'm too it's old rubbish. to remember. Yeah. It's rubbish. Tacky yeah. rubbish. Yeah. yeah. So this. This is... Other than any, any Santa's grotto in Froome. Right. Anywhere else, rubbish. Right, okay, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... Yeah, I don't want to say too much. We'll, we'll keep a bit of mystique. Is yeah. there any? Can you find anything about it on your website? I don't... No, you can't. No, you have to come to the shop. Right, you have to come to the shop. You come to the shop, you can buy, buy tickets at the shop at the door I mean you don't have to go in straight away it's on for a month but you buy tickets there um, and there are leaflets throughout town that do give my email address and say that you can either get it through email or come into the shop amazing yeah. amazing mm-hmm. and what's next after this yeah, so you, you're, oh, <laughs> oh we were talking about your uh, can we talk about your idea for the um, for the uh the what? Yeah, the, the new, the new uh, thing in the shop. Can we talk about that? Are we talking about that? Was that just a harebrained idea? That you oh, just what, what we want to do? Yeah. Um, is that, is um, that, uh, see, I don't, I, uh, no, watch no. this space. Okay. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know. You don't want to overpromise. I don't want to promise if it can't be delivered. <laughs> right. Not in this town. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. But there will be, there will always be something. But let me say, yeah. if you do... If you do do what we were talking about, you mm-hmm. doing. Uh huh. We hanging out in there. Okay. We okay. coming. We hanging out. Now you're getting out. expectations up. They're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> we coming. We hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. You're very welcome. Big thank you to this week's guest, Kate Talbot. We will leave links to her work and other bits and bobs that we talked about in this episode in the show notes description box. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, you can. It is at the Giant Pod on Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is Andy underscore TGP. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Like and subscribe. If you've got a friend who you think would have enjoyed this episode, then please copy that link and share it with them. Uh, this podcast was produced by... Hmm. This podcast was produced by the rather woolly Harry Williams. We will see you next week on The Giant Pod. Thank you very much. <laughs>